No one will be admitted after the guests check in. Welcome to Motel Hell. M -m 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 Motel Hell. My name is Ben the Beardo, filling in for Flex Lexa because we totally did not sell her dead corpse to buy a new microphone. That's that's accurate. So tonight's episode, hopefully you guys will notice a difference. We did what most podcasts do first. We bought a microphone after 27 episodes, and we are ready to be in the space age with high def voice recording technology and uh yeah hopefully it's gonna sound better i mean i'm still using the shittiest audio editing software there is free and clear and under control neutrogena's <laughs> uh digital audio workstation but the microphone is better it'll hopefully pick things up more clearly and without all the background noise we're still in an imperfect environment of hardwood floors squeaky chairs and Big unruly dicks. Uh, big unruly dicks. But, yeah, hopefully this is going to be better from now on. You going to introduce yourself? I am. I'm Dick Fetty, the man with the dick and the Fetty. And uh, by night you might know me as Disco Fetty or Disco Dick or, or Fetty Disco. Or Dick So Fetty. Yeah. That. Dick, dick So Fetty? I like that. Yeah. That could be my full name. Dick DSF. So Dick So Fetty. So when people go and Google the what is Dick Fetty's real name, it comes up as D Dick So Fetty. That's good. I know what I'm doing. How do we make that happen? <laughs> I just have to uh, do a name change document. No big deal. Oh, so sick. Yeah, publish it in the newspaper for two weeks or two months, and then I get the order. Nice. Yeah. Law. Name changing. Mm. So. What's your name? I already introduced myself, but no, I am Ben I don't the Beardo. That, so. <laughs> I am Ben the Beardo. We are not joined by our co-host of the Fair Sex. Uh, she may or may not be dead. I am not at liberty to discuss that, and it's not my business to put her business on blast. Tonight we're going to do things a little differently. We're not going to have a movie review per se, uh, mainly because our episode tonight is These ten movie reviews. Woo! Ten whole movie reviews. So, in honor of the pending Halloween celebration at the end of this month, I guess by the time this episode is posted, it'll either be the last day of September or the first day of October, depending on when I get it edited. Anyways, we thought, what better thing to do than review our favorite horror movies? So, we're super excited about this episode. It's basically, I mean, it's always us talking about what we like, but now it's especially talking about what we like. Essentially, you're getting the Bearded Dicks musical fun time two times. Times two. Because we will be doing another uh, BDFMT after this, which doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. Maybe we find a shorter acronym, but I kind of love it, so. Yeah. And uh, I want people to struggle through it. Yeah, so thanks to those who are enjoying the separated episodes. We've been getting some listens so far, so we appreciate that. Hopefully... Uh, doing these shorter episodes will make it easier to digest and more enjoyable for the listener at home or in the car or on the run from the police. 
or you might find yourself or while you're banging your significant other trying to think about us to come yeah, yeah. or thinking about your sister or banging your sister and thinking about us whatever whatever you're into I hope we help you come is really what I'm getting at <laughs> that's always what I hope and I, I do want to just a quick side note before we go into that it just made me think I was reading an article about the sort of wild west of law right now which is the robot brothel in America and most countries don't really have much regulation and there's a guy an entrepreneur who started the first robot brothel well robot strong so you know sex like sex doll sex doll yeah brothel in Canada and he's looking to come to Houston Texas to make it make his first one we actually covered that in one of our old news episodes yeah we covered the one in Germany Germany right yeah so this is uh, big news for Americans and they're already trying to put bans in place on sex dolls that resemble children which I have mixed opinions about whether that causes more harm or good because I think if you're a pedophile you're a pedophile better to be banging sex robots than kids but I understand nobody wants to quote unquote encourage them but I think that generally with most things when there's a harm reduction strategy that's the more effective strategy but that's a that's a that's a discussion for a different day we're not Japan we're not in Japan and uh, we don't have any sex robot brothels yet but I will be going to one and I'm going to dress like Deckard from Blade Runner so that I can retire the dolls with my penis that sounds <laughs> incredible I will be there with <laughs> bells on actual bells mm. so before we get into our discussion, discussion of our top 5 horror movies I think you kind of wanted to start this talking about what horror means for you, for us yeah. for, as a couple, as a couple of gentlemen I also wanted to preface that we're not going over all of our favorite horror movies or even necessarily the best horror movies ever made. Yeah, absolutely well, not the best horror movies ever made. But these are horror movies that we very much enjoy, can watch over and over again, and hold a very special place in our hearts. Yeah, and, you know, for those who heard our Giallo episode, we, we covered what is my favorite subgenre of horror in detail. And if you don't know about Giallo, then I recommend checking out our episode. It's six or seven. It's pretty good. It's long, but we really get into the history of the genre. We get into the, the main directors, the main uh, soundtrack artists and actors, actresses, stuff like that. But I think we've got a Giallo-free list tonight. I was going to put one in, but I didn't. And I came is, close. This is like classic, quote-unquote, horror films, so... It's it's funny because I, I was I've been thinking about this since you've actually brought up the subject of us doing this whole episode on horror movies, and pretty much since we started this podcast, I've I've been thinking about how I've kind of always been obsessed with creepy shit mm -hmm. ever since I was little. Even as young as possible, my mom would buy me like pop up books that had ghosts and monsters and ghouls in them. Sure. I remember loving Gremlins, being obsessed with Gremlins when I was younger, to the point where I got my dad to buy me a little toy of Mohawk from Gremlins 2. Oh, yeah. Which, God knows where that is now, Didn't, but... Wasn't he kind of in the first one, too? Didn't, but he didn't no, have that like was a, Stripe. Stripe, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Mohawk was the, yeah. was the one who he turned Straight into the... Straight up, like, yeah, punk rock. Yeah, gremlin. and turned into the spider gremlin in it. Okay. But I remember being absolutely terrified of horror movies when I was younger. Yeah. And to affect me to the point where they would keep me up all night, I have a very vivid memory of my brother being in his bedroom and just hearing the sounds of Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> and just hearing, Fran! people screaming and just be like, that sounds <gasps> awful. And he, 
I made him move his copy of Nightmare on Elm Street from our downstairs up into his bedroom because the cover scared the shit out of me. Mm. And now I can't really remember when I truly started enjoying horror movies and they stopped scaring me because I'm at the point where I've seen so much horror, both real and on film, that it doesn't affect me anymore, really. Yeah. I think the closest that you and I came to a movie truly, truly scaring us was our first horror movie marathon when we watched... The Conjuring. The Conjuring. And we'll tell that story in a little bit, but... Well, I think we can tell it now, because that's not not on the list, right? No, no, it's not on my list. So we've... Ben and I have been holding Halloween horror movie marathons for what's going to be five years in a couple weeks. And the first year we did it, we ended on The Conjuring, which Ben had seen and I had not. We had watched, you know, movies we were familiar with all day and all the rest, and it was all fine. And by the end of the night, the party dwindled down to Ben and I and our friend Dan. And we watched The Conjuring, and it scared the bejesus out of me. I mean, it was, like, really terrifying. And I was house-sitting in this big house that was sort of set off from the street, and we were all there. And the movie got done, and we were, the three of us, terrified, and Dan had to go home. And we were, like, afraid to look out the windows because there were floodlights onto the front yard, but all these tall trees and leaves falling and all this, you know, spooky shit. And it was real chilly out, too. Yeah, it was chilly as fuck. We had a fire going on in the back for a while. And, you know, we said to Dan, like, look, we know you got to go. And he didn't want to leave, but he had to leave. And we were like, look, call us when you get to your car. Just run to your car. We don't know what's out there. Because if we open the curtains and we see something, we know we're doomed. But if we... If we don't, then we don't know what's out there. But like, so I think we looked. But anyways, he ran to his car. He called us. He was like, "I'm safe." I was like, "Drive away, go, go, go." And the house that that we were house sitting for, uh, they had this full size husky there, Rocky, who couldn't go upstairs, but was a very sweet dog. But you know, they're huskies. They're imposing. And we thought, okay, first line of ghost defense. We've got a husky here. He can't come upstairs because the kid doesn't know how to go upstairs. But he'll be our alarm. Yeah, he'll be our <laughs> alarm downstairs. We got a big knife out of the kitchen, and we retired to the master bedroom where Ben and I laid in this massive king-size bed with a knife between us, just basically afraid for our lives. And I had a stuffed animal just so I had something to hold. Yeah, and we fell asleep essentially in each other's arms and woke up the next day unmolested as far as we know. Yeah, and the first time I had actually seen that movie, I was down south visiting my friend Kate. I was watching it on her laptop. She had to go to bed. And there is a... Without giving anything away from the movie, because I do think you should go see it. It's a good movie. It didn't make my list. I know it didn't make yours. But there's a scene in the movie where birds are just everywhere. And I'd finished the movie, and I went outside to smoke a cigarette, and she had this little porch in front of her house and this bird feeder, and I tend to touch things and walk around while I smoke when I'm alone because I don't have anything else to do and I touched this bird feeder and a fucking bird flew out of it I was maybe three drags into my cigarette flicked the cigarette, ran inside, slammed the door and just sat there with her dog and was just shook completely and utterly shook and that's something that hadn't happened to me in a while but I remember, you know, growing up I loved... I love the Munsters. I love the Adams Family. I'm talking about the OG yeah, black, black and, and white. white. Yeah. I loved the Ghostbusters. I loved all that stuff. And the older I got, the more in tune I got with the genre. And then after you and I became friends, it kind of exploded from there to the yeah. point where... This is all we do. Yeah, pretty much all we do is watch 
horror, we'll have like little breaks where we watch anime or sci-fi sci or very rarely a comedy. Yeah, but occasionally a drama, like a true-to-life drama film. It's rare, though. Yeah, it's one in a million. And it, it's funny, because basically, for me, I was never huge into horror growing up, but I was always into monsters, which I never really thought of as horror. I was really... I watched a lot of Gamera, a lot of Godzilla as a kid. I watched Alien when I was probably... The first time I was probably seven, six or seven, my mom let me watch Alien, because I loved the Xenomorph. I thought, this is so cool, and the horror element didn't like even affect me it was just like right. i was in it to see the creature and so i got to see all of the alien movies as i grew up and we we talked about alien resurrection a couple episodes ago and uh you know i was i was into it for that purpose and basically my mom would let me rent any movie i wanted if it had a creature in it and i just had to close my eyes for the nudity and promise not to swear and you know i watched tons of terrible films that I'd love to like try to track some of them down. It was back in the blockbuster days when I lived in Wichita. We had this huge blockbuster. And that was where it was at for me. It was all about the creature features. And, um, you know, but I, I had the same as a kid, like active imagination and proper horror scared the bejesus out of me. The three films that I can remember like scarring me, no, there's four. So I think in order it was the first Halloween I watched the first, the opening sequence where Michael Myers, Myers kills his sister terrified me, terrified me. Ran out of my neighbors across the street, neighbor's house, ran back to my house. We had a babysitter that night and I couldn't fall asleep. I was terrified she was going to get murdered. I came down, I confessed my sins. I was like, I watched Halloween. I know that the babysitter dies. She was like, she was this old lady. Her name was Carol. She was like, well, let's stay up and we'll watch our, my stories together. So we watched these soap operas. To like you know 10 o'clock at night and then she put me back to bed and I, I was all right the next movie that scared the bejesus out of me and I'll get more into it later is The Shining um, but yeah scared just scared oh my god scared me so good and then it was um, shame to admit it well no before I get to that one there was Event Horizon which also like oh I, man yeah I, I don't even remember when I saw it in theaters I saw it in theaters as a kid I was like 10 and the ship was so cool. The first half of the movie was so cool. And then when you see Sam Neill's wife in this one scene in these vents, there's, I was like, no. I'm pretty sure I left screaming from the movie theater. My parents did not let me finish it. I watched it many times since. But uh, And then the other one was The Cell with Jennifer Lopez and Vincent really? D'Onofrio. Yeah, because I was like 11 or 12, and it really spooked me. And my mom was like, if you want to leave the theater, we can leave. I was like, I think I need to go. So... I didn't get into like proper horror though until much later in life. It really started with Giallo, and then I got more into regular horror when we became friends. I had a couple movies that I really liked, but most of them were in some ways creature films, so they never really. I never saw them as horror films. I saw them as something a little bit different. And it wasn't until I got much older that I like really got into slashers, and I really got into sort of classic horror and and things like that. And I still am very picky. We have different tastes in a lot of ways. Uh, as far as I think regular horror and I think that'll come out in our list but yeah I mean my life is nothing but spooky music and spooky movies and spooky home decorating as we sit in my back room which has got covered in uh, straight razors upside down crosses and masquerade masks and the like there's a little frame pictures of knives and girls holding machine guns you know I live a spooky lifestyle I wear spooky clothes like not full on 
you, goth, you don't, yeah, you don't go full on goth. Not I'm, anymore. I'm the same way though. I mean, I all of my favorite books are horror related. All my favorite comic books are horror related. My favorite video games, for the most part, not entirely, because video games are such a broad genre, are horror based. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much it. We this is what we do, and yeah, like my whole back tattoo. A little bit horror related, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit, yeah. You know, Lovecraft and and all that good shit. I don't know, I think that, I think for most people, I know for me it's a mixture of the enjoyment of getting to see something that you'll probably never experience. Whether it's people getting chopped up into little bits or creatures from another dimension or outer space or whatever it is, combined with the sort of... It's like the one place where I allow wonder to live a little bit for me. You know, the idea of like maybe this is this is a little bit possible. Like maybe there really is something out there that's terrifying. And I think it's why we both are so into true crime is like that's the real horror. You know, but it's 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 this mixture of escapism and like tapping into like a primal sort of emotion which is fear. And even when it's not fear, it's like still always just entertaining. And I'd much rather watch a movie that you know aims for a specific uh, atmosphere and a specific like it has an intent which is to to exhilarate to thrill to scare whatever like those types of things but it doesn't have to be arty it doesn't have to be you know a, a lofty thing it can be still entertainment just with like those specific ideas in mind whereas like so many action movies and so many drama films and all this stuff they're all just like really melodrama they're all they say nothing they do nothing they just like don't move me in any way whereas like I can get into the idea of like somebody cutting people up I can get into the idea of you know like body horror and all that shit like and it usually comes with tits yeah and well, that's true there's a, there's a high tit yeah. ratio not to be misogynist but I like boobs I'm yeah. sorry like I don't know and then, I mean as Dario Argento said you know it's always better to see a beautiful woman get cut up than anything else so right and I, I also think definitely for me that it's much harder to write good horror versus other genres of things comedy you just have some good jokes you don't even have to have that great of a premise drama drama happens every day you draw from life horror is something that's while it's based on primal fears and things it's very hard to get right yeah and i mean just looking at horror movies as a genre themselves there's a ton of shit horror movies out there yeah and that they're they're like the shitty kind where they don't even... They're not entertaining. Like, they're painful to watch. They're not so bad they're good. They're not so... You know, they're not anything other than just, like, ineptly made. And then you've got your elevated, incredible horror films, which just, like, shine so brightly that all the rest seems like the, the tripe that it is. But the good thing is it's, like, one of those genres that will always remain popular. There are always going to be new, new people doing it, trying their hand at it. And you get the, you know occasional incredible film like It Follows or The Witch or things like that that sort of come out of left field and the good ones are so good that you can return to them over and over and unlike like for me I've seen Blazing Saddles a million times I love Blazing Saddles but that movie starts and I can just start quoting and never stop and it stops being really funny because I know what's going to happen like you know and since I don't drink anymore I can't just get shithouse blackout and then occasionally be like oh 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 back this is funny yeah, again. Right. You know, whereas horror films have this infinite rewatchability for me where, you know, at their best, it's like I, I sort of when I'm focused, I get engrossed in the atmosphere. I get engrossed in the feeling of like, 
yeah, like, yeah, this shit. I'm about this fucking shit, you know what I mean? Whereas, like, most other types of films, they don't they don't ever have the, the atmospheric element that horror thrives in, you know? Yeah, and it's, it's this very weird niche. And I think the, the closest thing that I enjoy to horror, at, the closest genre is probably sci-fi, yeah. which is still, you know, they're both so oversaturated with storylines and ideas that... If you do something new or you do something old, but you twist it in such a way that it comes out good, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Or it's just like, you know, again, the having good actors, having good writing and having good directing. I mean, really writing for me is what carries most movies or makes them fall flat. Like, if your characters are written in a way which they're not believable and they act in a way that goes beyond what most people would accept, even when you're... Um, oh, you know, what's it called? Suspending disbelief. It, it ruins it. And I think of any genre of film, always the writing is what is the baseline. And some movies make up for it by having little to no dialogue. Valhalla Rising is not a horror film, sort of an art house film weirdness, but it has no writing, but it effectively tells a story without it. And, and, and largely because it's a visually based film, but I think there's a many a horror movie where the premise might be good, but the way it's written allows the world to be so unrelatable and so silly that you're just like, I can't get into this. Like, I want to get into it, but it's just poorly executed. Also, I think horror is one of the few genres where they can make a totally bad movie and I can still completely enjoy it. Yeah, which is, I mean, Giallo in many ways is like, you know, it's, it's the ultimate in genre ex exercise as far as filmmaking goes for like 90% of those films. They weren't really trying to do anything other than make a few dollars and churn out movies pretty quickly. But because there are such entrenched tropes and there's such a stylistic flair for most of the films, it becomes less about, I'm accepting this as a good film and being like, this is a perfectly distilled piece of entertainment geared exactly at what I want to see, which right. is, you know, black gloves and masked killers and fashion models and cocaine and swanky apartments. And boobies. And boobies galore. <laughs> so I think we've sort of covered where where we stand on the genre. I'd agree, yeah. And uh, why don't we get into it? So I think you're going to start tonight. Yeah, I'm actually going to start with the movie that we watched tonight prior to the episode, which is... The 1981 American classic, Evil Dead, directed and written by Sam Raimi. Raimi? Raimi. Raimi. So we, we watched this movie tonight prior to the episode. I love this movie. It's got practical effects that are, for the most part, still hold up. You can definitely tell that there's puppets in certain scenes. Yeah. But... It's it's so strange to see this movie, and then Evil and I, Dead Two. Yeah, and Evil Dead Two, and Army of Darkness, or even Ash versus the Evil Dead, or reading any of the comics. And none of those I'm really going to go into because we're here to talk about Evil Dead. Yeah. But the first one, which I feel like a lot of people tend to forget, is a strict horror movie, and was made by Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and their friends for little to no money. Yeah. And was very hard to make and came out very well. Yeah, and it's. Not to immediately refer to another podcast, but if you want to know more, so we're not going to get into, with any of these movies, really the production details or any of that kind of shit. It's less about the legacy and more about what they mean to us. Uh, if you want to know more about Evil Dead, 
check out the episode by Wizard and the Bruiser on it. It's really interesting, and they get a ton into the detail of the history of the making of the film. But, yeah, no, I mean, there are some of the slapstick elements, there's some of the comedic writing, but... But it's not meant to be there. Yeah, and it, and even when it's there, it's just, like, pretty minimal. Like, the demons are demented, but they're demented in a way that when you put yourself in the situation and think, oh, wow, I'm going to have to kill my girlfriend and my sister and my best friend and his girlfriend, like, it's brutal, you know? And sometimes it comes across as a little bit corny, like, the way that they act, but it's also awesome how they just... They don't have to be super scary the whole time. It's more of an it style of like terrifying. I'm fucking with you because I have all the power here. Yeah, and it's it was very different for that time period because there's a lot of slasher movies. There were demon possession movies, but they they weren't like this. Honestly, the closest thing I can put it towards is like the Beyond, but the Beyond is obviously a lot more refined. But it's it's one of those supernatural horror movies that did something a little different because it almost took zombies and demons and kind of smashed them together and there's only five people in the yeah. whole movie and you know they die but it's it's not like when you watch a Friday the 13th or a Nightmare on Elm Street or any slasher movie or anything like that where it's just people getting killed and then one person survives and it's not like things like The Exorcist or Rosemary's Baby, where it almost borders on thriller and most of the... Psychological horror. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a little bit in there. And I guess the other thing we should we should mention now is, spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about the endings of these movies, the ins and outs. So if you haven't seen them, if you don't watch horror movies, then this is either not the right episode for you or, you know, check out the list of movies that'll be in the description and... Watch them and then listen to us talk about them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, see if you agree with us or if we're just assholes. But, yeah, no, it's funny. The first time I watched Evil Dead, so I remember as a kid seeing the box with the... It's Is it Ash or is it a woman on the front? I can't remember. It's a woman. It's a woman, right? And she's getting gripped up by, like, hands coming from the grave and she's trying to break out of it. And I thought, that looks very cool. And my mom was like, no, definitely not. She... She could do the creature features, she could justify, but she was like, this just seems inappropriate for, you know, however old I was, eight, nine, and ten, and whatever. And uh, I rented it on VHS when I was in middle school, early high school for the first time, watched by myself in my room. And the thing that stood out to me the most was the early on tree rape scene, which is, like, pretty... It's not graphic but it is like brutal and it's not something you expect (laughs) yeah and the screaming on top of it my parents like because i I was watching in the middle of the day and i remember my mom came in she's like what the hell are you watching i was like oh it's just like a movie she was like okay but it's uh it's really intense it's you know probably the most intense element in the whole movie and that still holds up to me like as a scene as as like a true terror like this idea you know the, the classic human fear of the woods and the dark and all the rest like coming to get you in, in a real visceral way. I fucking love that shit. And the, uh, the towards the end, the claymation, stop motion, whatever it is they do with the dissolving bodies is so fucking awesome. I know. Because I remember watching it the first time and, like, having no expectation of that being, like, part of the finale and just being blown away because that stuff is cool in and of itself. And it's, like, built into the movie really well. And they also... If anybody doesn't know or hasn't seen the movie or... Well, I guess I don't really need to go into too much of a description of the plot, but five friends go out into a cabin in the woods to party. They find a demon book and demons I, come and fuck them all up. Yeah, accidentally summon some demons. First time I'd seen this movie, because when I was younger, I 
unfortunately was into a lot of the mainstream horror stuff. Like, I went out and saw The Ring and, like, Strangers and shit like that. It was my junior year of high school. That's how long it took me to see this movie. And I was at a, I guess, like, an after-prom shore house party thing. Mm -hmm. Which, I didn't have a girlfriend there with me, and nobody I was with drank, so you can imagine how boring of a high school party this was. But... We were like, let's go out and rent some movies. And we were at this, like, little dinky, shitty video store, which is one of my favorite things from my childhood, but we don't see them anymore. And we're looking through all these movies, and I was like, let's get something horror. And one of my buddies asked me if I had ever seen Evil Dead, and I said no. So he immediately rented both one and two. And I sat there, watched the first one, was like, this is the greatest movie ever made. And probably a week later, I went out and bought it. And I've seen the movie so many times at this point that I can almost quote the whole thing, but I tend not to just because even when we were watching it tonight, I was kind of trying to make jokes as we usually do, but for the most part, I was just sitting in awe because this is something that someone took a chance to make and it came out so good and they have a very good way of getting you very little information. Pretty much everything's given to you via recording and then they... And then they, like, sort of build on it. There's this demon knife that they don't really talk about, but every time you stab a demon with it, jizzy milk comes out of every orifice possible. Yeah. No, it's funny, because I've only seen it a handful of times, and my one of my buddies, my friend Jared, who you know, um, he he loved it growing up. It was the the Evil Dead trilogy was big in his dad's household, along with um, Brain Dead, a.k.a. Eaten Alive, which I've seen, like, part of. The um the one that the guy who did Lord of the Rings did yeah Peter Jackson Peter Jackson yeah so but I've never seen Army of Darkness I only saw Evil Dead two last year when we watched it together or maybe two years ago I think it was last year mm-hmm. but I'm not as big into the slapstick like goofy stuff I mean Evil Dead two is really good it's definitely something that I needed to be more in the mood for to really fully enjoy but Evil Dead one hits all the right notes for me and it's just. It's, and there's buckets of blood. Buckets so of fucking much blood. blood. It's, which is... There's I really, blood coming out of the walls. Yeah, no, it's it's good. And that's there's more blood in the second one. It really goes over the top. But, the, and I guess the other thing we should mention before we move on is the Evil Dead musical, which is a sort of combination of one, two, and I don't... Maybe it has elements of three, I don't really no, know. No, it's just one and two. But it we saw it done by a professional theater group in Philadelphia. Now they are stationed in Vegas. Yeah, so they, they did it originally, I think it was in Canada, it was, and it was off-Broadway. Might have been Canada. I think it was started in Canada, and then it became an off-Broadway production, and then they've toured around the country. I saw it done as an amateur musical last year on my birthday, which was interesting and very different experience. It was fun because my friend was in the band, but it was quite poorly done. But when we saw it in Philadelphia, it was really phenomenal. I didn't have high expectations because, again, I don't go in for... I had to see a lot of musicals when I was growing up because my sister was a music theater uh, geek, and I hated it as a result. And uh, I'm not as much into the comedy, but it was a really great combination. And if you can see a good production of it, like, big recommendation from me. That was a lot of fun. So I do have one last story about Evil Dead. Okay. Which I, I think I've told you, but I don't know if you remember. So, years ago... I got set up with this girl who, and it had been a while since I dated anybody, so I was just like, I don't care, just fucking give me attention and let me touch your boobies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And (laughs) 
So she came over one day, and I was like, yeah, let's fucking let's watch a movie. You know, it's Netflix and chill, yo, whatever. It's all good. And we put on Evil Dead, and we start, we start fucking. And about halfway through us having sex, I realized that there's not going to be any relationship here. We have nothing in common. The girl had Creed lyrics tattooed on her, which would should have been a... A red flag. Big red flag. And I'm not talking about, like, arms wide open Creed. I mean, you have to listen to Creed. She had to tell me they were Creed lyrics. Because mm. I'd never heard them, seen them, anywhere. And while we're fucking half the time, I'm just watching the movie. Yeah. And uh, I finished the movie, finished myself, and her and I agreed to part ways. So, nice. Yeah. A fitting end to the evil dead yep. that is living. And she... Fucked like the Evil Dead. Anyway, please continue on to your. <laughs> well, movie, that sounds sir. good. I mean, those Candyarian demons could get it, but I yeah. guess more like the Dead Dead. Yeah, the yeah. Dead Dead. So yeah, so my pick. So we're we're doing this in uh, ascending order, descending order, ascending order, right? Five to one. To a degree, yeah. To a degree, yeah. I mean, these aren't. It's very hard to actually put them in a real list, but yeah. we're gonna we're gonna try to do that, and we're gonna go back and forth in order to 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 keep it interesting. So my pick, my my quote unquote fifth choice is actually probably my third or fourth favorite movie of all time. But as far as horror movies go, even though it's one of my favorite movies of all time, it's not one of my necessarily favorite horror movies. But there's no other way to classify it really. Uh, it is a Japanese student film called Kichiku Dai and Kai from 1997, and the director is Kazuyoshi Kumakiri. And well done. I was turned on to it by my friend in California, Tim, who used to have a DVD burner, or had a DVD burner before most other people did, and he used to rent all these flicks. He lived outside of San Francisco, so he had access to Asian flicks like nobody's business. And he burnt this movie for me, and he sent me home with it in high school. And the first time I watched it, I took a shitload of Triple C, or DXM for those who know either of those <laughs> things. I was fucked up. And about two hours into my trip, when I was starting to come out of the hardcore part of it and was like, okay, I can watch a movie, I decided I'm going to check this Kichiku Dai and Kai out. And I had been to Japan once already in my life, maybe the summer before, and holy fucking shit did it make an impression on me. So the this is one that most haven't seen, most likely. It's a really obscure flick. Even when I lived in Japan, nobody in Japan knew the movie. Um... If you have any interest in incredibly good Japanese horror that's nothing like the J-horror we normally think of, like The Ring and The Grudge and all that shit, skip this part, uh, listen to, or watch Kichiku and come back to it, because I don't want to spoil anything. It's fucking amazing. But it's a student film. It was done on a pretty small budget by a guy in film school with his friends. It takes place in the 70s, and the plot is basically there's a guy who leads a leftist political group who gets imprisoned for, I don't know what bullshit, I think just leading the group, and they're waiting for him to get out, and while he's in prison, his girlfriend's running the group, and basically is like starts screwing everybody in the group, and there's this new guy who gets brought in at the beginning of the movie, and shit just starts to fall apart, and a third of the way into the film, the leader of the group kills himself, and then things completely fall apart, and then it turns into this sort of Lord of the Flies, people like just spiral into madness kind of shit. And part of what makes it incredible, which is a weird thing, but the atmosphere of it is it's all set in Japan in the summer. And if you've ever been to Japan in the summer, you know it is the most ungodly hot and yeah. humid place. <laughs> it makes Florida look like a fucking paradise. 
and uh, the cicadas are so loud and so constant, it's it's like you just can't even know it until you've been there. And this movie captures both the sound of those fucking cicadas and the just ball sweat dripping hot, heat, humid nightmare that is Japan so completely throughout the film. And watching it on Triple C with like ice essentially pumping through my veins, I still was sweating profusely just watching it. And halfway into the movie, things basically take a drastic, violent turn, and then it just goes like off the fucking rails. And the practical effects in it are incredible. There's this amazing scene where they blow off this dude's head with a double barreled shotgun at point blank range, and it's just like spewing goop and just foaming out, and it is fucking disgusting. Like a gross blood fountain. Yeah, it is. But it's it's like not your anime stylized, you know, spray, blood spray, arterial blood spray shit. This is like goop fucking city. And then right after that, they castrate a dude with a box cutter. And later on, the castrated guy is like chained up in this abandoned building they're hiding out in. And they've beaten him with a, a a bunch of different stuff. And he's, like, tonguing these green beans out of a can of green beans. And his, like, face is all swollen and fucked up. And the guy who's just watching him eat these green beans out of the can while he's, like, cutting his tongue open. on It is, like, so grim and brutal. And essentially, it's, like, the most nihilistic film I've ever seen. And I've watched a lot of Gaspar Noe and a lot of other uh, French and European directors who specialize in nihilism. But this movie's basically to me like a a sort of alternative take on the Lord of the Flies style breakdown of humanity yeah and, and, and people just turning completely feral and fucked up and essentially how we're all capable of the most inhuman acts when pushed into situations where we don't feel like we have any other choice or are so surrounded by madness that we succumb to it ourselves I remember when you first showed me this movie and Mariah my wife was watching it with us and I think we got, like, maybe 20 minutes into it, and she left the room. Yeah. And I didn't know how to feel, because I really enjoyed it. It wasn't like when we watched... Oh, was that an Australian flick? Snowtown? Snowtown. Where it, that was just bleak and, like, made me feel ooky. Yeah. Like, this movie kind of did, but at the same time, I really liked what they did, and the visual effects they did were really good. The acting was really good. Yeah. I just really enjoyed that breakdown. The Japanese do that very well. They did it very well in Battle Royale, yeah, which is one of my favorite Japanese way, flicks. Way more fun. That film's infinitely yeah, more way fun. Way more fun, yeah. yeah. But no, it, and I think it, it, it part of it speaks to Japanese culture where you can just see this happening like with Japanese people where they just are unable to say anything and just go along with the nightmare. I mean, Unit 731 springs to mind. But... It's also just a human characteristic, and you see it in other movies, too. And and Funny Games kind of pushes this same button where it's like when you push against the normal expected behavior in society and you're constantly broaching, or breaching, rather, that sort of expectation of how people are supposed to act and what happens and how it breaks down and the insanity that ensues. Like, it does that, but it does it better than Funny Games, for my taste. And... And to sort of go back to the whole scenario when I watched the first time, on Triple C, it's like you're detached from your body and reality, and I'm watching this movie as if I'm just like a, a passive camera in yeah. it. Like I, you're essentially I, on the outside looking in. Yeah, and I, I've completely lost the ability to know that I'm watching a film because I was both mesmerized because it was a good film, but also because I was on hardcore mind-altering drugs. 
it was fucking terrifying. Like, I was positive I was going to be one of the people executed. Yeah, that sounds horrible. Yeah, in the movie. And I've watched it several times since on DXM, and I've watched it just many times generally, and it still to this day is like, leaves me with this sort of bone-gnawing chill that no other film hits for me. It is, it is like the most effective look into the dark heart of man. And part of why I love it is it ends with the last character after he executes all the remaining like psychopaths, kills himself by just like putting his neck against his sword and sliding his head down and like partially decapitating himself. And it pulls out and it's just like the trees in the spring or in the summertime rather and the sound of cicadas and then it's just over. And you're just like, it, there's there's nothing to glean from it other than we are garbage. Like, we are garbage fucking people. We're garbage species that is capable of doing the worst things to one another. There's no thrilling element to it. It is just like a fucking nightmare from beginning to end. And so, in many ways, it's almost like the best film on my list because it... it it touches a horror that, like, you know, is not your normal horror. It's not about what lurks in the dark. It's, like, what lurks in the dark hearts of man. And that's my favorite kind of darkness. But that's not so much fun. So I didn't want to put it <laughs> as number one. Uh, I put a more classic film. But, yeah, so that's that's my my first pick, Kichiku Kai. It's really kind of tough to track down. I think there's still, like, regular DVD copies of it on Amazon used that you can get for a reasonable price, but you don't expect to find it on Netflix or Hulu anytime soon. So, my next movie, strangely enough, comes from 2015. Now, I was going to almost put all of my movies in, like, the 70s and the 80s, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's really fair as far as the amount of different horror that I enjoy. Yeah. So, my second... My number four pick is 2015's The Witch, directed by Robert Eggers. Which we've already discussed. We have already discussed. And there's room to discuss it again. Yes, but in that episode, we really didn't go into too much detail about the movie itself. Yeah. We just kind of talked about it loosely, not to ruin anything. So if you haven't watched it by the episode that we reviewed it on, that's your fucking fault. Strap in. I'm going to tell you how the goddamn movie ends. Now... It's, I just want to say this before you get started. I almost put this one on my list, too. I fucking love this movie. This is, like, such a good movie. It's Atmospherically, really, it's so well done. Uh, uh, the natural acting, lighting. Natural lighting. The, and the acting is Phenomenal. incredible. Yeah. And Anya Taylor-Joy is very attractive. Yeah. I know she's and, supposed to be a child in the movie, but... Age. God damn it. Yeah. She is very, very pretty. But the, the, the acting in the movie is phenomenal. So, I'm not going to do this for every movie. A lot of the movies, I'm really just going to mention the main people, like the main character in the movie. But Ralph Innocent, his voice in this movie is so commanding, and you're Mm -hmm. like, the whole time you're watching it, you just want to pray to God and do whatever he says, because he's the man of the house. Of course, the first time you watch it, you're like, I can only understand half of what anybody's saying. I'm going to have to watch this again on subtitles. Right. <laughs> We've watched it enough times where we, we know what they're saying. But it was, I uh, even for me, a natural... Well, we're, I mean, we're both native English speakers, but it, it's difficult. Like, I would, I think it would be difficult for anybody. I watch a lot of Doctor Who, so I'm used to accents at this point. Yeah. But when I first watched this movie, I got about two minutes into it. It was like, I am putting on the subtitles. Yeah. Because they're using Old English... And it's very hard to understand. The movie takes place in 1630. 
It's about a Puritan family who essentially gets kicked out of their church and decides to move out into the wilderness and live for themselves. And the whole movie really delves into primal fear of the unknown and not even just the unknown, but the horrifying idea that you might have to survive in the wilderness through anything without any help. Yeah, Sh sheer force of will. Make or break. And it, I mean, it speaks to the, and we talked about this on that episode too, so I'm just going to mention it briefly, but, you know, it, it's it's set during a time when superstition wasn't superstition, it was real. Like, magic was real, witches were real, they were real facts of life for people. They honestly believed that they existed. The devil's influence was a physical, true thing that was happening all around you in the world. Yeah, there was no question about yeah. it. Yeah, and there were, and you know, there's no cell phones, there's no cars, there's no nothing. It's you, the wilderness, and make or break luck. And if you get a bad season, you starve to death and you die. And it doesn't matter if you have kids or you have a wife or whatever. Nobody spares you. It's just the sort of cruel, commanding world as it is. In a lot of ways, to me, it speaks to the same kind of brutal nature that, um, oh, Jesus, the guy who directed Aguirre and, and Werner Herzog. Um, you know, his movies are always about how nature, we see it as this beautiful thing to admire, and it's like nature's the most brutal, you know, brutal thing there is. Like, there is nothing... Beauty is incidental. It's all about just, like, survival on every level. And this movie is taps into that same thing along with the fear of the dark and the, you know, taking the supernatural as it is. When I And when I f first heard about the movie, I'd heard good things, but I wasn't sure if it was going to be one of those things where you went into it and you're watching it and you're not sure if the witch is real or not. And I really appreciated the fact, right from the get-go, yeah, it was like, this is fucking real. Like, a baby gets murdered within yeah, the first, like, 15 minutes. Yeah, and spread all over a naked lady's body. Yeah. And she's, she's not pleasant to look at. Yeah, but the the witch that you see later that fucking... Ooh, man! Yeah, yeah, seduces the young boy is is quite hot. And, again, it's, you know, people still are dissecting the film saying, is it metaphorical, is it not? It really doesn't matter. And, you know, I mentioned it before, and I'll just say again briefly... Movie scared the shit out of me. Like I, I don't normally think witches are an interesting subject. I don't really particularly care about them, and this movie had me hook, line, and sinker the entire time. Like I was completely committed to the point where it ended, and I was terrified of a very real witch in my world, like coming to get me and turn me into paste or to seduce me. And I mean, you you can say like witches represent you know this this idea, the classic idea of like woman is temptress, femme fatale, whatever. But as a guy who's made a lot of mistakes as they relate to women, it's not a metaphor, like, for me, you know? Like, that's a very real thing. Like, I have followed women into bad places, not normally hovels in the wood, but if she looked that good, you better believe I'd be going in there and touching and kissing anything she liked. Yeah, no, I used to date women based solely on the fact of whether or not I think they could make me want to kill myself. Yeah. And, by the way, the hot witch's name is Sarah Stevens, mm, just gonna, so you know. Gonna have to Google that. I'm already looking at a picture of her, and my God, this is the only movie she's ever been in. That's a shame. Anyway. Oh, wait. That's not true. Oh, I guess she's a model. Anyway, that's totally off topic. The movie is very good at immersion. I, I think it does a perfect job at doing a period piece. And, yes, I know I'm rehashing a lot of stuff we talked about, but fuck it. I don't care. You're already here. If you don't want to hear us talk about this movie again, skip ahead a few minutes, but... I just, I love this movie, yeah. and I've watched it 
so many times over the last few years that I don't I don't get tired of this movie. And it's one of those movies where you know, Dick Fetty and I make a lot of jokes when we watch movies because we're funny as shit and we make your experience a better one when you watch a movie with us. Yeah, right. But <laughs> this is one of the few movies that you and I, if we're watching it alone, we'll be totally silent. If there's Absolutely. nobody else there, it's just us and that movie. And I'd actually really like to rewatch it in the dark with my new surround sound system soon. Yeah, that'd but be all right. The sound design of the movie is super well oh, yeah, done. The apprehension machine that they use to make the sounds. Yeah. yeah. Oh god, dude. Just everything about that movie and once again we've touched on this before. It's not just a good horror movie. It's a good movie. Yeah. No, it's an exceptional film. And you know, I didn't expect when the movie ended to actually see the devil. Yeah. I did not expect that. And my my wife and I have an inside joke now from this movie where Black Philip the Devil shows up and he's like, Would you like the taste of butter? Which really kind of makes you question how bad it sucked to be a Puritan back then because if you sell your soul for the taste of butter, what what are you doing in life, really? Yeah. Well, it's funny because I talked about on our last musical fun time, on our first one, the Overlook album, All of Them Witches, which has that sample of when Black Philip shows up to Thomason and she says, you know, what can you give me? And he says, would you like, you know, a nice dress? Would you like butter? Would you like, what? I forget the other thing he offers her. Would you like to live deliciously? Yeah, yeah. And it's just like super effective in the song. It's super effective in the film. And when she, she goes out with all them witches at the end and they're all nude and howling and all the rest and she starts levitating and you're like, nice. Nice, yeah. Yeah. And I there's not a single thing that I would ever change about that movie. Yeah. Not not one. I honestly oh, yeah, zero think complaints. as far as new age horror movies go, and I do have another more modern horror on my list, but the movie's perfect. There's I, I honestly can't find any grip with it, and if you disagree with me, you're wrong and you're stupid. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think we, we talked about this in preparation of the episode. For me, it's definitely, of all the newer horror movies, unequivocally the best. And... I I know the other movie you're going to talk about. It's a great movie, but like the witch, the witch hits all the right notes. As somebody who listens to a lot of black metal and you know all that kind of stuff, it just adds some extra oomph of all that sort of, not exactly medieval, but uh, you know colonial era. Just like ooh yeah, yeah, pure primal fear. Yeah. So our next one is a movie I've seen so many times, have enjoyed so thoroughly, and. And all of its influences and all of its sequels and forms that I had to ask Ben when we were prepping our list it, is it even a horror movie? And that would be the 1979 Ridley Scott classic Alien. And the answer is fucking definitely. Yeah, fucking definitely. So the sci fi horror masterpiece featuring the wonderful Sigourney Weaver and Tom Hurt and no, John Hurt. John Hurt. Tom Skerritt, Tom Skerritt, and Yafit Koto and Henry Dean Stanton. It, it's, I mean, an awesome cast of characters. Of course, H.R. Giger's uh, incredible artwork and creature design and all the rest. I mean, it is, it's a film that's so influential. Like a, lot, a couple of the films, basically all my films, I think, on this list to a point are up here. But Alien is like, 
it, it goes beyond influencing horror films or sci-fi films. I mean, it, it's just like, it's so ingrained in our culture and all the rest. It's hard to think of, at least for me, in my life course without Alien being as prime part of it. I mean, I, it's created a franchise that's touched every bit of nerd culture at this point. Mm. I think, was there a cartoon? Mm. There wasn't a cartoon, right? No. I think that's the only thing they don't have is a cartoon. Yet. Yet. Yeah, there's no Clone Wars, but yeah, the original Alien, so I saw this when I was a kid and I lived in Kansas. In our basement, we had a Betamax player, which was the superior uh, technology over VHS, but didn't catch on because it was Sony's proprietary technology, and they cost more and all the rest. But they were smaller tapes, but better quality, <clears throat> and my parents, being collectors of tech that would soon go out of style, much like Laserdiscs, which they also had in abundance, in which I have. I have the film, so I have Alien on DVD, I have it on Blu-ray, I have two different box sets of the Laserdisc version of it. We used to have it on Betamax, which I still wish I had. If they had it on 8-track or reel-to-reel, you better <laughs> believe I'd have it there too. If uh, they had a flip book of it. Yeah, right, I have the VHS. It was a movie that, the cover of it was like that creepy fucking egg, and the alien itself was so cool, and my mom was like, you're gonna love this. And I, I watched it when I was like, definitely... Seven, six, seven, eight, somewhere in that range. It's hard to remember because of the, the drugs and the time and all the rest. But yeah, I was fucking enraptured. And it wasn't like scary to me when the, the alien pops out of John Hurt's chest. I was just like, this is fucking yeah, awesome. I'll, yes! Yeah, I was like, this is so cool. And the Fiat Suckers were so cool. They had that Alien vs. Predator video game for the 3DO and Jaguar CD and shit like that. They later re released on. The computer, and they've made many iterations of it since. There was the Aliens uh, game for Sega, and the Aliens 3 game, and... I mean, it's just... Yeah, it's been in every aspect of our culture, like you said. But, I mean, the movie just had a profound effect on me. and basically got me into sci-fi, and got me into alien creatures for the rest of my life. And the first comic books I ever collected were Alien vs. Predator and Spawn. So, you pretty much can date me pretty easily from that when I grew up, and... And it was like, I, I have such fond memories of going to the comic book store with my brother and he would buy me like Alien vs. Predator comic, you know, one or two a week and we'd sit and he would, he was also really into Spawn too. He would read Spawn and I would read Alien vs. Predator and we'd swap and like, oh my God, I wish I had my comics so bad. My dad fucking threw them out, but that's a bitch for a different day. Anyways, the movie though, the movie's just, I don't even have a lot to say about it other than if you haven't seen Alien, like who the fuck are you? I mean, other than my, well... Other than Flex Lexa, who only just saw it like two, three weeks ago. But, you know, I guess if you were born in 2010, you get a pass. But you had to have seen some alien, one of the movies related to the franchise. They span decades. Yeah, whether it was Prometheus or Alien Covenant, which I thought was pretty good, all things considered. And, you know, or, or Alien 3, David Fincher's directorial debut. Or Alien 4 that has Michael Wincott, a.k.a. Top Dollar, and... Oh, you know his name now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've committed it to memory after watching The Crow the other night. But um, I just, I absolutely love it. I thought, I really have to put it on the list. It doesn't scare me in any way, shape, or form. But it's just an incredibly good movie. And having just rewatched it three weeks ago, it just stands up so well. It, there, there's, again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. The only bummer of it is it's been parodied and rehash so many times that it almost loses some of its luster but when you sit down and you watch it at night in the dark with somebody special especially like watching it with alexa who'd never seen it like 
and having those, you know, all the scenes for the first time, the chest burster, the fucking face hugger, all that shit. Like, she'd seen Covenant. She, she saw it in reverse order. She saw Covenant, then Prometheus, then Aliens. We skipped three and four. Uh, and then Alien. You know, so she kind of knew what was going to happen, but it's still like, oh my god, the first time, like, when it comes down and eats fucking Harry didn't stand and when he's looking for the cat and all that shit, like... I wish I could go... <sighs> I saw it probably around the same age. Mm-hmm. My dad showed it to me. Because my dad's always been into sci-fi. I wish I could see that movie without knowing anything about it again. You see it for the first time. Yeah. The first time you see the face hugger, the first time the chest burster comes out, the first time you see a full-fledged alien. That movie is awesome. All the way around. And the the movies themselves span so many different types of genres. Once again, we're not going to go too many too much into sequels, but... You know, the first one is, in my opinion, straight horror. Yeah. It, that's what it is. I mean, the the I think the poster tagline was, nobody can hear you scream in space. Yeah, in space, no one can hear yeah. you scream. So, the movie is, I remember you texted me, and I actually laughed out loud at my phone, because you were like, is this is this a horror movie? I want to put it on my list, but I'm not sure it's a horror. It's definitely a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. And it was one of the first things that I truly got obsessed with when I was younger. I, I collected the Kenner toys, oh, I yeah. read the comics, I played the video games. Yep. When I was younger, on my family PC, I had like all these folders of things I'd quote-unquote research just so I could have nerd knowledge about it. And I had Predator and Predators and Aliens had their own files of pictures, pictures links, descriptions. I'm going to know everything about everything. I always, when I was younger, I thought I was the shit because I knew they were called xenomorphs and not just the alien. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, uh, you know, the, again, it's like, H.R. Geiger's design, I mean, as an artist, he's amazing, and of course, Alien's the gateway for most people into his work, which is great. Like, it's not a bad gateway, it's not the watered-down version. Like, his design is incredible. The original Alien, I mean, in all the iterations of it that followed, they're they're like an incredible design. They're terrifying looking, and the they're so drippy and sleek and, and phallic. black. Yeah, and phallic, and you know the original the, picture, the the long elongated has is literally a dick. a dick. Yeah, and and the whole idea of like the mouth shooting out of the mouth, like this sort of sex is a weapon thing, like amplified to the nth degree, is fantastic. But the movie's supported by. Not just his incredible design, but the other design team that did everything for the ship, the amazing acting of everyone involved, especially the untested Sigourney Weaver. And she had been in stage plays, but, you know, uh, wasn't... Like, this made her a star. And she was with a bunch of heavyweight actors of the time, Yafit Kodo and Tom Skerritt and all that. Like, they were all big deal people. And, you know, Ridley Scott went on to do Blade Runner, and then everything else, pretty much, as far as I'm concerned, just kind of sucks dick after that. Like, he just... He made movies that were... He's not an incompetent director by any stretch of the imagination, but, like, basically never pushed himself after Alien and Blade Runner. And those movies, like, they changed everything, especially for sci-fi, but just generally. I mean, they're, again, both so permeated in our culture at this point, it's impossible to extricate them. But without Alien, we wouldn't have one of my favorite game series of all time, Metroid. Oh, yeah. Without, Without the Alien movie, Metroid wouldn't exist. One of the main bad guys is named after Ridley Scott. The whole thing is dripping with a Geiger art. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's amazing. And again, it's like a film where people act in a way that's believable. These are normal blue-collar people who are terrified. They're just trying to get home. They're just trying to make money. Like, Alpha Koto and 
Henry Dean Stanton's or Harry Dean Stanton rather uh, they're constantly talking about their bonuses their shares like whatever you know it's just like it's so good it's so real and, and the scene where Tom Skerritt's going through the fucking vents and like they're closing them behind him and he's trying to find the alien and they see it on the motion detector is so fucking good like oh my god every time I watch it I just get like all hyped up and I get the chills simultaneously so yeah Alien is Alien is like amazing it, it is one of those movies that definitely like shaped the course of my interest for the rest of my life it, it's yeah no I would love to go back and rewatch it like fresh but it's impossible to think of my life without it like it's just a part of the core fabric and you know everything from the poster art to the tagline it's just it's a, it's a perfect film honestly strangely enough a horror movie is the thing that got me really into sci-fi yeah and that aesthetic of that those that green dot screen and everything yeah, oh, yeah. and oh yeah well the the whole mother like mother I've turned it off you bitch and she starts like slamming the computers and just... and they save the cat and I like cats yeah that that never that always made less sense to me me and my mom my mom's not a cat person. She's deathly allergic. And the cats are fine, but they're not... I was always like, leave the fucking cat. You know, <laughs> like, who cares? I did That did not garner sympathy for me. That was the one thing that was like... But, you know, whatever. People do crazy shit. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally Cat agree. people would do that, so... Yeah, I would. Yeah. I would. Also, I try to domesticate the alien, but you can't, so... Yeah, they've written hundreds of comic books that say it just doesn't work. Yeah. Wayland yutani has tried. So Lord hard. knows they have tried. So... Want to move on to my next one? I think we're ready. So, my next one is a 2014 movie, which goes by the name It Follows and directed by David Robert Mitchell. Mm. Um, I respect this movie for a lot of reasons. Now, when I first saw this movie, it was kind of on the on a whim. I remember reading a lot about it and a lot of horror movie people saying, this is going to be incredible, it's going to be directed really well, and I wasn't sure what to expect. And every time I bring this movie up to people who aren't like you and I, who aren't just eat horror for breakfast, yeah, lunch, and dinner, breathe. who don't boof horror on a daily basis, yeah. I will just jam that stuff all up up my tiny butt. Yeah, it's only way I can't even feel it anymore. Oh, God, I love it. But they always refer to it as the Supernatural STD movie, which, yes, on the basis, that is what it is. Yeah. But when I went and saw this movie, it was me, my wife, and this girl that we used to be friends with, who, it's very hard to watch horror movies with this girl, because the whole time, she's just like, oh my god, oh my god, I don't like it, I don't like it. And she'll scream bloody murder, but apparently she loves horror movies. I guess some people react to horror movies like that. I do not. Yeah. But we watched it at what at the time was just a Ritz before AMC bought everything out. There was nobody else in the theater. It was just us three, which was honestly probably the perfect way to see it for the first time. Yeah. Just alone in a dark theater with two other people. And I left that movie just... I, like, I couldn't believe it. I, I re it. I'd never seen anything like it. And it, it affected me. And the moment that movie came out, I went out and I bought a physical copy as soon as I could. I refused to pirate it. I didn't want to do that. I waited till it came out just so I could own it. And the, the way they do the movie... And I'm, I don't want to, like, nerd out on it too hard and be like, Oh, this means this and this means that. Just watch the movie, but it the concept is so interesting that this girl 
is hanging out with this dude, and it's very... The whole movie's shot very dreamscape-like, so you can't really tell what time period it takes place in. Yeah, it's mixing all sorts of shit up. Yeah, it, there's technology in it that doesn't exist, and then they're they're mixing, like, CRTs with pocket things. I don't know, like, I, it's like a clamshell that you, has a touchscreen you can run on. But anyway, movie's about a girl, and she meets a boy. They think they're in love. He fucks her. Puts her puts her out with some chloroform, Classic. and then wakes up. And is like, listen, you've got this thing now. I pass it to you. You're the only one that can see it. If it catches you, it'll kill you. Then it'll come back to me. Which is such a strange concept. And the director really didn't do much of anything prior to this. His previous movie was a coming of age story, I think, which I still refuse to watch because I don't give a shit. Yeah, which doesn't really shock me, because the movie is still very, like, youth. Like, the focus is... It, it is a, it's not coming of age, but it's people who are coming of age. You know what I mean? They're, it's young... Well, not young teens, but older teens who are, like... They're college age. Well, are they? I thought they yes. were in high school. No, they're college oh, age. Oh, right, right. I always get that confused. But, yeah, I mean, they're still, like... They're still figuring shit out, you know? And they're not the smartest, and sex is you know, a very big, real part of your life. And it, again, like Alien, touches, like, what's the thing we all love, but we all have all these, like, hang-ups about sex, you know? It's like, and now sex kills. And there are, like, little... <laughs> sex kills. There are little... things that you can look at as metaphors for mental health issues, which, which are there, and if you want to research them, do it. It did add something to the movie for me, but all in all... The way the movie is shot is very Carpenter-esque, and just really wide, beautiful shots. There's silence in parts, where you're just kind of ruminating on what the character's thinking. There's no voiceovers or anything. I, the, the scares are both jump scares and not, almost like that lurking fear that's coming on you, and we're not going to talk about lurking fear in this fucking podcast, but the movie is done super well. Dick Fetty the gracious friend that he is bought me a poster of it which I fucking love and then he also got me a Japanese one which I love oh, I've, yeah. I I can see that I've seen that movie so many times and I can keep watching it again and again even though I know everything that happens and it's to the point where I enjoy it for the reasons I did before which was it's a beautifully shot movie the sound design is great the acting is great yeah Disaster Piece does an awesome job with the score exactly Disaster Piece is amazing and who, they did the music for Fez, Fez yeah. yeah just one guy yeah just one guy but at the same time now I also love it because the character the, the male macho character in it who we refer to as Johnny Denham which is a long running joke of ours personally is just so funny in it, and then you have their cuck, let's say, cuck friend. You've got you've got the Chad, you've got the cuck, who is just trying so hard to sleep with the main character to the point where he's willing to take this demon thing away from her just so he can get a shot of that crack, you yeah. know? Yeah, been there. No, that's not true. But, yeah, no, it's, it's funny because I've seen it twice. I saw it in theaters. I saw it in the same theater as you did, but completely opposite circumstances where... The theater was completely full. I was with my girlfriend at the time, and the guy behind me kept talking during the movie. 
And I was super stoked about it. My parents told me about it, of all people. They heard a review on NPR, and they were like, this sounds like your thing. Go see it. And the guy behind me wouldn't shut the fuck up, and he was some older dude. And I kept turning around, and I was like, yo, shut the fuck up. And I was getting, like, wildly heated. So I spent half of the movie thinking about, like, am I going to get into a fight with this guy in the parking lot? And if I do, will I knife him? And if I do, will I go to jail? And was, like, straight on ready to murder somebody by the time the movie got over. And... But still, simultaneously, Matt managed to, like, pull me into it completely. The music, especially, really, like, a good horror film score, any good movie score generally, but especially in horror, like, ratchets everything up to the nth degree, and it was just so fucking intense. And uh, one of the things that really cracked me up was halfway into the movie, I was like, where is this? And I realized, oh, it's in fucking Detroit. Yep. I was like, there's no more perfect city, like, a city that is so broken between time periods because of its, like urban decay and all the rest it was such a perfect dreamy weird dark place and um yeah i mean i really adored it i've only i saw it one other time since in a setting where i didn't get to really watch and enjoy it and uh so it's hard for me to be to have a a, a full opinion of it because i haven't watched it so many times but it's also one of those where i loved it so much when i watched it the first time i'm afraid to watch it again just cuz i don't want to diminish what how good it was that that you know f that memory of it that first go round so well, lock it up with us having to watch the witch again so yeah it, it's honestly i still think it holds up really why it's on my list is because it'd been so long since i saw a new truly good horror movie and that was the first one and it kind of reawakened my faith in the genre yeah. for for modern times cuz you know me a lot of the stuff i like is 70s 80s practical effects right. some of it gets kind of campy but that's that's my bare bones stuff that i love and this is none of that this is just straight good directing good music design good writing yeah gorgeous like the the way everything looks is so cool yeah it's it's done really well yeah there's a stylistic flourish that says like this is a unique film this is like there's nothing else like it there's nothing else that's come before it that's similar it's completely its own entity and is just super effective. And again, like not just a good horror film, but a good film too and wildly enjoyable. And it doesn't, it's not a bad thing that the main character, Micah Monroe Buckley is not too hard on the eyes and, but she's like one of those strange looking beauties. Yeah. She I, definitely I is not your normal yeah, and I she does a great job. She's able to convey so many things through her silence in the movie. And the way it ends where she bangs the cucked guy, whose name I can't remember because my Wi-Fi is not working too well, and I didn't print anything out because I'm always, always ill-prepared for this podcast. Uh, they just kind of walk off together because it, it alludes that he did fuck a hooker to get rid of it although that seems like a poor choice because who knows how long it's going to take her to fuck another person before the thing comes after her and if you don't know it's coming after you you're not prepared but they walk off into the sunset and you see somebody walking slowly behind them I remember there were rumors that they were going to make a sequel and that made me extremely mad because there's no reason to continue that movie that movie needs to stand alone the way it is and leave it alone Hollywood Absolutely. 
Yeah, no, it's good, and it's it's funny. I'm just thinking we did. I watched it a third time. We actually watched it for the podcast. So, and I did the the glitches for it. It's all coming back to me. But I think I had to cook while we were watching it, so yeah, I didn't really did. get to uh, enjoy it to its max potential. But yeah, no, I I can't disagree. It falls is is fantastic. So. So what do I got next? Let's see. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, this next one for me is, is it's, how can I put it? It was a movie that was a slow burn, and it's on pretty much every list of classic horror films, but the first couple times I watched it, I did not think it was that great and couldn't understand why it was so hyped and so loved and whatever. And I'm talking about the 1974 slasher classic. Slasher's just part of it. It's exploitation. It's horror. It's it's everything good. It's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre by yes. Toby Hooper. And, you know, when I was a younger man, I did a lot of drugs. And I did them all the time. And one of my favorite things to do was to take DXM and to watch movies after the initial trip. When I was in this zonked out, ice cold detached place and while Kichiku was ramped up exponentially by watching it my trip really hadn't ended so I was like pretty fucking terrified the first time I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre was like in college after a DXM trip and it I stayed cold throughout the whole movie I didn't really get why this was such a big deal and it might have even been that I watched it the day after which is like still you remain dead to the world for 24 hours minimally yeah. after DXM. Because you don't really sleep anyway. No, you do, you do not. And so, to sort of preface it, when I was growing up, there was a handful of movies that I was unequivocally not allowed to watch. They were Texas Chainsaw Massacre and A Clockwork Orange, Lolita, and there was one other one that I can't remember. All of which... No, I've never watched Lolita, but A Clockwork Orange and Texas Chainsaw were both like... When I wa finally watched them the first time, I was like... What the hell were my parents protecting me from? Like, I saw RoboCop when I was seven or eight. Right. You know, like, <laughs> what What more What more could you... I mean, Total Recall, like, I can quote that whole movie. I saw three-titted mutants from the time I... Way before I even had testicles. Quaid! Yeah. Boop and stop the reactor! But, yeah, so... I knew... I knew of its legacy. I knew who Leatherface was. I, I had seen parts of some of the sequels on HBO... But it was just a movie that I never really watched, and my mom would never rent for me. So it wasn't until I had my own Netflix account when I was in college where I had the opportunity to rent movies that I was never allowed to see. And my parents didn't own it. It wasn't like Clark or Orange where we had a DVD, but I had to be brave enough to like steal it and watch it, you know, and, and whatever. Um, and I watched it the first time, and... I was led to believe by my mom that it was so violent, and it's definitely violent, but it was super gory, which it is not. And I think, allegedly, I guess it's true, I don't know, supposedly they were going for PG rating, and so that's why there's so much minimal gore, or so little gore, rather, in the original film. But whatever the reason, there's not a lot of, like, buckets of blood. It's not like Evil Dead. It's all... It, half of its atmosphere... A quarter of it's Leatherface putting people on meat hooks, and then the other quarter of it's, I don't know, the sound People of being chased by a chainsaw. Yeah, man. yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, there are times where, because of, I guess, a mixture of budget constraints and all the rest, like, it almost gets corny, but it's 
so let me say that over the years, my opinion has changed drastically. Now it's like weird. Yeah, we've we've watched it what three times in, within the last year. Yeah, so you know, it, it every time I watch it now, I like it even more. I like it even more. It's it's like one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. Not just horror, just like generally, like I fucking adore everything it's about, and it's so disconcerting. And, and, and it makes you so uneasy from the get-go. Like, between just the type of characters that they have, like the annoying crippled dude Franklin and, and the weird fucking hitchhiker that they pick up and this whole thing that he does when he's in the van and the, the just the setting. And, like, I've been to Texas. Like, I've been all through Texas. And Texas is... I can imagine a, a Chainsaw Massacre happening yeah. there. There's a lot of inbred fucking people. It's just, like, it does it, it does it super right. It does it so effectively that, like, you never really question the believability and maybe it's in part because again it's so engrossed in our pop culture that like I want to believe there's a Texas Chainsaw family out there um and the other thing that really is cool about it is there's a side project from the band Converge called Super Machiner and they have a song called Bitter Cold which features the sample of the girl after she escapes from the house the main chick I can't remember her name but goes back to the gas station and they're like laughing and like trying to get her like to get her in the bag and whatever and it's like her like screaming and like saying like let me out and all this stuff and it's like looped a couple times before the song like build it's like a six or seven minute long song it builds into this like big heavy crashing crescendo and that was like the most chilling part of the movie for me originally like waiting for that part to happen and hearing it and now when I listen to that song which is rarely it's like it's so much more meaningful and and I don't know but yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre has just become something that I, I... It took me a while to understand it. But now that I do, like, now that I can enjoy it, and it, I'm not expecting things it doesn't provide, but I, I know what it's going to give me, and it's something I desperately want often, multiple times a year. It's like, fuck. Like, there is no there, there is no comparative movie. I, I also think it's, it's very strange, because technically, yes, it is. It's... A lot of people consider it in the slasher genre because, you know, there's, there's like the big four, right? There's Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, and Leatherface. Those are like, I, I'd say like as far as American horror goes, like those are the f- big four, and then like yeah. somewhere on the outskirts is Pinhead. Yeah. But as as far as like horror movie franchises go, there's a lot of like Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the Thirteenth or even Halloween, that the second one is still very, very good. And and we talked about this when we first... Because I had never seen the second one until after we sat down and rewatched the first one. And I'll get to my personal experience with the first one in a minute. But we sat down, we watched it, and it was like, I think this was just banged out over a pile of cocaine over a weekend. Yeah, it was. And I think... I remember reading after the fact, I think it was like Toby Hooper didn't want to do it but they offered him a ton of money but everybody involved it's Dennis Hooper and like his obviously coked out years it's Toby Hooper and what seems to be his incredibly coked out years like it's it is a pile of hot steamy garbage it's kind of fun but again like if we were drinking it probably would have been way more fun but it, it really was just like not good yeah I don't it's not one of those things where like I have to I like I really want to watch again. I, I wouldn't say it's not good. I don't think it's for us. Yeah. Because I feel like it plays a little too hard in into like the wackiness of it. Yeah. Which it completely does. It's nothing but wacky. But which it doesn't necessarily do super well. 
Now, I would like to rewatch the ones that have Ma- Matthew McConaughey in them, yeah. only because of the resurgence of his career over the last few years. Yeah, just well, been, it's almost a decade at this point. Yeah, a decade have been crazy. But the first time I watched that movie, I was far too young, and my brother showed it to me, and it's the, the scene still has a very big effect on me, but it's when the one guy goes in, and he's they're looking for a phone, and Leatherface comes out, hits him in the head with a hammer, and he oh, just goes down twitching. and starts shaking. Yeah, twitching. Yeah. And then he pulls him in and slams that. I stopped watching that movie the first time I saw it. And that scene still looks so real and so visceral and so well done. And there's not a lot of blood, but it's effective. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it is that, like, Leatherface is such a great villain because by himself he wouldn't make sense. He wouldn't be able to operate. But because he's part of the family unit, like, he's the bruiser, but he's the terrifying, like, there's nothing to reason with here. There's no way to talk to him. Like, it's a mentally handicapped guy who's got a penchant for butchering human beings. And eating them. Yeah, and it's like when the girl runs out of the house and he grabs her and slams the door, it's like it doesn't get better than that as far as horror goes. It is so fucking good. And towards the end when they get Grandpa and all that, it gets a little goofy. Like, the makeup for the Grandpa guy is a little bit goofy. But it's sort of... If you just acknowledge, like, budget limitations and all the rest, like, the concept sort of jumps over those little, you know, uh, potholes and just keeps on moving. And the way it ends with him, you know, Leatherface, Chainsaw in the Air and all the rest, and the fact that you see that, like, in the one scene of American Psycho and, and other stuff, like, it's just so... Oh, man, it's, like, fucking iconic. It's beautiful. It's it's perfect. It's just... It's what you want to have happen to shitty teens. Like, this is what the terror I want to see. But it's, like, again, a concept where it's fucking terrifying. Like, it's terrifying to think that you get hometowned by some weird-ass backwoods people that, like, could take advantage of you and... All they want to do is kill you and eat your flesh. Yeah, and, like, or if they just want to kill you or whatever. Like, you know, that doesn't have to be to that crazy degree in real life. But it's not so far removed from the original danger of being in a place where you don't know anybody, you don't have any money, and you're relying on, like, the kindness of strangers, and it's got that deliverance aspect, like, backwoods nightmare shit. Um, You know, that's, like, I think a real thing. If you've ever traveled across this great nation of ours, like, there's tons of parts that are filled with, like, weird people who hate outsiders and, you know, probably, like, 99% of the time aren't going to kill you, but occasionally it does happen. And it, again, taps into an older like, real fear of highway robbery, all that type of stuff that's, like, you know, part of human history where travelers are at the mercy of the people, uh, like, strangers' kindness, you know? And and it's, like, the idea of being chased by a guy with a fucking chainsaw, that's terrifying. Like, that's a real... Like, there's no alien, there's no there's no witch. Like, that's a real, just a power tool. Yeah. To kill you, like... Somebody could actually... That could happen to you. Right. And normally that's not going to have somebody else's face on top of it, but, like, that just makes it that well, much Well, that's the other thing bad. I wanted to touch on. It it has that thing where not only is someone chasing you who's huge and seemingly unstoppable with a chainsaw, but they're also wearing the face of your loved one. Yeah. They took the ideas that... Uh, the actual happenings of what happened with Ed Gein and just turned it up to fucking 11. Yeah. The most extreme way possible and I that movie is so good man 
that yeah. beginning voiceover. Oh yeah. Where it's just and this is this is what happened and it's just so and I think that also lends itself to a lot of people who are into the same stuff that we are with the true crime aspect. Yeah. Where you know a lot of movies are like this is based on a true story, but having that voiceover almost like you're watching unsolved mysteries. So you're like, good. ooh, okay, yeah, no, I'm in it. Yeah, and that's the best part of the second movie, and part of why I've recommended Mortician multiple times on the show is they use the intro for both movies and Hacked um, Up for Barbecue and then Chainsaw Dismemberment, and there are two songs that are about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They, actually, they have a bunch of songs about it, but they have the the second one. It's like. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre never ended. It continues on to this day. It haunts Texas. Like, blah, blah, and then, and then Morticia kicks in. And I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, to me, the thing, the best compliment I can give is, it was a movie that the first time I saw it, I thought, this is the most disappointing film that I've heard so much about I've ever seen. To now, it's, I couldn't imagine my life without it. Like, I want to watch it, a couple times a year now. Like, it's so fucking good. We're just gonna end up rewatching all of these movies soon, aren't we? Yeah, probably. Is that all you had to say on the subject? Yeah, that's it. Alright, we are on to my second to last. Now, I had a lot of issue with this one, what was gonna be my number two. Um, and I'm, I think we can have, like, a small honorable mention okay. part at the end, but this was really a toss up with me it was either going to be this or Nightmare on Elm Street and I didn't go with Nightmare on Elm Street Friday the 13th part 1 okay Uh, because the the movie does first person killing so well Mm. and everything's a little bit more believable than it is in Nightmare on Elm Street I love Nightmare on Elm Street don't get me wrong I love the whole series I think maybe on the whole, I might love more of the sequels of Nightmare on Elm Street versus yeah, I think Friday the Thirteenth. The most fun by far. Yeah, but the first one is so well done and has such this twist that you never saw coming. And they mention it in Scream, but we're not even gonna fucking talk about that. But the whole movie, because I've, I've shown it to people and they've been like, "Well, is that is that's Jason, right?" And I'll be like, mm. They're like, why aren't they showing Jason? I'm like, just fucking watch the goddamn movie. And the the kills in it are great. Watching Kevin Bacon get murdered with an arrow through the bed is great. There's boobs in it. It it hits all of the tropes that I truly like in a slasher movie. But it was one of the ones that said all the tropes. That's, well, didn't Halloween came out before it, too? Yeah, Halloween it? came out before, but I mean, but Halloween was like the first... Straight up, like, it is the quintessential slasher that sort of defined the genre tropes and said, this is what we're doing, like, maximum maximum money in for maximum money out. And, but Friday the 13th was one of the, like, the next big movie to say, yeah, here we go, here I think it, it was the again. thing that cemented that stuff. Right, right. Because there really isn't that much blood in Halloween. Yeah. There, there's not too much killing, as opposed to Friday the 13th, where a ton of people die. And I think... Out of the body counts for like the main slashers, I think Jason is the highest out of all of like the the, the four greats, let's say, yeah. of, the, of the horror movie slashers. And before I forget, nineteen eighties when the movie came out, it was directed by Sean S. Cunningham, and I just it has all of the things that I love that have been pulled into so many other movies, 
but it's got the death curse. It's got it's got the the harbinger of doom. Like this that place has a death curse. And you're like, oh, you're going to Camp Blood. Yeah, and it's so well done and. Like I, I've I've been to sleepaway camp. I can believe that there's all these horny teenagers that are going out to start this camp, and it doesn't seem that far off from reality. And you you saw this movie a while ago, right? No, the first time I watched the original Friday the Thirteenth was with was, me. Yeah, when we did it for the podcast with, with Flex. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean we watched the second one before that a couple of years ago, and. Yeah, but I never watched any of those movies growing up or in college or whatever. They were always uh, below me, beneath me. I was interested in Halloween because of John Carpenter, but Friday the 13th, like, maybe I saw parts of it as a kid because I think I knew the twist in advance, but maybe that's just from years of, like, how could I not know at being so immersed in horror culture? But, yeah, it wasn't until really recently that I was like, oh, wow, these are... These are a lot of fun. It's one of those twists that's forever ruined. Because if you know anything about horror movies, you know Jason's supposed to be in it. And you may or may not know that... Well, maybe it's not ruined. I don't know. If you haven't seen the first Friday the 13th and you don't know anything about it, but you do know Friday the 13th movies, like you know Jason the Hockey Mask Killer and everything, It, the, I still like the twist. It still makes me very happy, especially at the very end where Jason pops out of the water. Yeah. And I also... The the main reason that it's number two for me is one the kills are good. Yeah. Two the directing and the music, like I I think it's gonna be, and I've told you this before because I'm not really too into collecting horror movie soundtracks on vinyl except like more, Giallo. Giallo or like it follows like newer stuff that has like much different sound design, um or Italian stuff that has a band or a specific composer that's really good behind it. Yeah. I mean, Carpenter's the exception to the American rule, right. where he writes great synthy soundtracks. But a lot of them are, and especially Friday the 13th, is like... It's the one that, like... Who was it? Francisco Lopez used to make fun of? Like, yeah. You remember that comedian? He did all the, the impressions. I always think of his impression of it, like, I'm going to get naked and take a shower. And... <laughs> Just, you know, yeah, but it's it's not really one that you think, I really need to hear that, you know? Yeah, and it's, because, you know, you look at Halloween, right? And Halloween was the the first, ri- well, not the first, but, like, the staple for American Slasher. Yeah. And, but they they weren't being punished for doing drugs and having sex and drinking, whereas Friday the 13th, they're being punished, and that set up the trope for everything. And the thing I find really interesting is it isn't until the third movie that Jason is truly set up as what most people know him nowadays. Yeah. Because the first one, he's not into the very end. The second one, he's wearing a bag on his head. And the third one is like full-fledged, unkillable Jason. Yeah. You know? And the the movie, it's... And I, I've talked about it before when we reviewed it. It's like a warm blanket for me. I can just put that movie on and just enjoy it, laugh, have a good time. It was one of the first movies that I can truly remember horror-wise enjoying and not being afraid. Just enjoying it for what it is to the genre. Yeah. And I I think that of... It's unfortunate because to me the original Halloween is the best of the big slasher three if you're excluding Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like as far as uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Friday the 13th and Halloween goes I think the first Halloween is... Well, it's a... um, I think it's the best 
like as a compact, tight, really well done movie. But as far as a series, it's the worst by far. Friday the 13th is probably the most enjoyable. I mean, because Freddy goes really through some ups and downs. And Friday the 13th, like, the first four movies are fucking awesome. Like, they're super enjoyable. Uh, well, so, yeah, the first three are really good. My thing is, I love the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street series, but they just keep... I, I guess they kind of do it in Friday the 13th, too. But more so in, like, Nightmare, they just keep adding lore and throwing lore. Like, my, you know, quick honorable mention... My favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movie is Dream Warriors. I love that movie. And it's got Lawrence Fishburne under a totally different name in it. And it's... Patricia Arquette. Yeah. And it's... it's I mean, that's the main actress. Yeah. And she's awesome. The, the thing about that movie is, you know, originally it's just Freddy is... Child molester. A child molester who somehow came back and then you find out in this one that his mom was a nun who was raped by a thousand maniacs and yes. you're like what yeah but the first one really sets it up really well and there isn't truly a supernatural aspect to it and you mean for Friday the 13th Friday the 13th yeah outside of the fact that Jason pops out of the water and that wasn't even supposed to be in the movie originally they weren't going to do that, and the studio was like, no, you need to do that. And Cunningham was like, I don't want to do that. And they're like, fucking do it. And he was like, all right, fine. So he, he threw that in at the end. And But still, even with that, the very end of the movie, she asks, what about the boy? So you're not sure if it really happened or she was just yeah, traumatized. Trauma, yeah. But that the end of that movie, like that survivor girl mentality where she drifts out into the middle of the lake and they just find her there. Like, that's it's very well done. Another movie I'm probably going to have to rewatch again soon. But that is probably my number two favorite horror movie, okay. I have to say. Number two, for me, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this just because we're already running pretty long, longer than I originally thought we would. But then why did I ever think we'd be quick when we're talking about our favorite horror movies? Um, so we've talked about this one again on the podcast a little bit before as it related to our John Carpenter episode. And no, it's not Halloween, but it is the 1982 The Thing, the remake of The Thing from Outer Space by Carpenter. That is just like one of the greatest, most enjoyable films of all time. It's so good. There, there are aspects of it that make no sense. Why do they have flamethrowers on an Antarctic research station? For science, Dick yeah. Fetty. For science. Right. And How are you going to get all the science that's in the ice if you don't melt the ice, Dick Fetty? Yeah, you're, you're so right. And... Uh, like, why are the windows so easy to break in an Antarctic research station? And why is everything made out of plywood and, and other stuff like that that if you've seen it, like, 30 times, you start to wonder? Uh, they're not. Everyone's just real strong up there because you have to be strong to survive it's up down, there. It's down there. Down there, down up there. there. <laughs> it depends on which way you're facing, Dick Fetty. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but no, I mean, it's the thing. If you don't know the thing and you listen to this podcast, who are you? Like, how did you get this far in life? Like, it's it's one of the most awesome movies ever. It's fucking Kurt Russell in his bearded goddamn glory with a full head of fucking hair that looks incredible. I mean, the guy still looks incredible, but really, top notch. He's got a, a, an amazing hat that's very that big. That is so good. Very big. 
And, uh, you know, every other character actor in it kills it. Like, Wilford Brimley, like, oh my god, when they open the fucking hatch on the door and he's got the noose and he's eating the can of beans and the bottle of vodka, <laughs> and it's just like, that was my life. That was my <laughs> life for a long period of time. And there wasn't even a spaceship underneath me. Like, I was just, uh, I was just fucking nothing. That hit silent. too close for home. Yeah, oh, so good. And Keith David, like, fucking kills it. I mean... It's just, it's really, really good. It's really good because there's a million theories as to, like, who's the thing at the end and who's not. Are they all the thing? You know, do you know if you are the thing? Um, there's, like, so much to think about as far as the movie, like, sort of universe that it creates. You know, where where could it go? But they didn't fuck it up. I mean, they they made the, this, the prequel that, like, I'm not even going to say anything more than that. They made that film and it was forgotten as quickly. Prequel? Yeah, the the one that they made in the 2000s. That was a prequel. The remake was a prequel? Yeah, it's about the Norwegian base before they get there. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, well, it would have been cool if it wasn't terrible, but it was. It was really not good. Um, it was basically a rehash of the thing. All the all this, like, they shot for shot remade scenes and you're just like, oh, wow, okay. But the, the reason I ever watched it in the first place was again wasn't a big horror movie person was way more into sci-fi but i read e entertainment weekly magazine back when i was a kid because it came to the house and they had wow one, you're a fucking nerd yeah they had a one issue that was like the top 100 cult films to see before you die and the thing was really high up on there and they talked about how it was a bomb when it came out but then because of the vhs it got this huge following down the line and people were like, this is an amazing film. And it was, like, critically panned, you know, when it came out and all this stuff. And I thought, this sounds fucking sick. And right around the same time that I saw it, they made the first video game that was fucking horrible and you should never, ever play. But I rented it on VHS and was like, this is amazing. And my mom, who's not into horror films, watched it with me. She's like, this movie fucking rules. And we used to watch it all the time when I was in middle school. Like, and all my friends got into it. It was, it's a movie that you can't, if, if people like movies then you could like the thing. Like, it's just that good. It's it's psychological horror. It's body horror. It's fucking just amazing. It's also sci-fi. Yeah, it's everything. It's also kind of action. Yeah, it's all, it's all those things. Like, the whole scene when they're slitting their thumbs open to get blood to then poke it with this hot thing. Like, why you need that much blood? Why that's what you cut? Who knows? I don't know. But is an effective scene super effective? Like, they're fucking jamming that scalpel oh, yeah. into their thumbs and just gushing blood. And, you know, the monster effects are famous because Rob Botten, who did all that, like, worked tirelessly for a year in his lab to make all of them, like, you know, just uh, uh, lived and slept in, in his fucking warehouse where they made all those creatures. And it's just, like, top to bottom, everything about it, just so so much fun, is the pinnacle of, of uh, John Carpenter. You know, I don't think that there's really any way you could dispute that. I mean, Halloween was a legendary film and broke ground and all that shit, but, like, the thing is the best film. Like, it's... And I think, at the same time, it... What it's does is... It, what it's done, its impact, it's touched every bit of sci-fi or horror series, movie... Uh, well, not movies, but more so, like, any TV series that is horror sci-fi based has done an episode that yeah. mirrors the thing. Yeah. X-Files, Doctor Who, Supernatural, like, you name it, it's there. Yeah. That that idea, that fear that any one of the people that's surrounding you that you're trapped in an area with can be this monster alien thing and you don't know it, so you trust nobody. Yeah. 
and already before it starts, like none of these people, they all just work together. They don't really trust each other, and so it, you know, pulls that apart from the get go. Oh, it's so good. And famously, again, I talked. We talked about it in the Carpenter episode, so I'm not going to go too much into it. But, you know, Carpenter was a huge fan of Morricone, uh, the guy who did the score for it, and asked him to do the score and then Carpenter didn't like the score that he did for him so he only used very small portions of it and then added in his own electronic cues and Morricone heard it and was like well fuck you then he was like you know I thought you wanted this and and Carpenter was like I don't know how to say it and so they don't get along and it, it was it was interesting because again like Carpenter loved him like you would have thought it would have meshed better but the way that they use his score works so well. The fact that they only use these limited cues, like the boom, 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 like building tension part, like, oh, so good. And if you've ever heard the full score, like, 75% of the music in it, you're like, I've never heard this before, and this is goofy and weird, why am I listening to this? Like, all I really want to hear is that boom, 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 (laughs) boom, 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 boom. But yeah, the thing, I mean, watch it. Of all the movies on this list for me, like, I could get if you don't want to watch Kichiku. Although, I mean, if you haven't seen Alien, you're a piece of shit. But Texas Chainsaw Massacre, maybe that's not your thing. But The Thing? The Thing? Come on. Yeah. Come on, my guy. You gotta, you gotta watch The Thing. And, if you haven't seen The Thing, you're probably... You probably live under a rock. Yeah, and and the, the, the last thing I'll say about The Thing is the fucking part when Kurt Russell breaks the computer so nobody else can use it because he <laughs> loses it in a game of chess and pours his scotch in it. I was just like... This fucking guy. This guy gets me. Also, they made a very good board game, which I've already reviewed, so I won't go into it. But the game rules. Yeah. And play it. Board games are fun. Okay. So, are you ready for my number one, which you already know? Okay. Which is the 1985 reanimator directed by Stuart Gordon. Mm. Gordon for all seasons. Who... I, I can't say that... I think the only movie of his we haven't seen from his, like, classic stuff is Castle Freak. Yeah. And... Which we do need to watch. That looks great. We do need to watch. Well, I almost watched it recently, but I was like, eh. I rewatched From Beyond recently, and I had a really hard time because, strangely enough, over the last couple of years that we started really getting into his movies with Dagon and... Or Dagon and The Reanimator and From Beyond... I truly fell in love with Stuart Gordon and the Mm. way he does things. The fact that he uses Jeffrey Coombs, Coombs, Coombs? Coombs, I think it's a Coombs. In all of his movies, who I fucking love and is always a delight to see on screen. Yeah, no, he's so charismatic and so hilarious. He's like Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell's partnership. It's, It's as good as that, if not better, because it's been so prolific and productive. Yeah, and I honestly, as... You listeners very may very well know Dick Fetty and I love Lovecraft. Yeah. We love Lovecraft. Dick Fetty's entire back is Lovecraft. Is Lovecraft. Yeah. Is literally tattooed on there for life. He's been working on this tattoo for years. Six years. We both reread the short stories. We're probably gonna do a Lovecraft episode eventually. Mm-hmm. Which maybe for the month of October, who knows? We'll mm-hmm. see. But it takes probably one of my least liked stories by him. Yeah, it's one of his weakest stories. Yeah. And makes it so entertaining. And yes, it's a bit campy, but 
just the movie itself, the way everything's plotted out, the way everything moves, it's got everything in a horror movie that I, I truly look for. It's got tension. It's boobs. boobs. Got great boobs. It's got giant naked men, which I also love. Mm. The, the movie is just so good. I was Herbert West. As you know, I am Ben the Beardo. I shaved my beard just so I could be Herbert West for Halloween one mm. year. That's how much I love this movie. The only other thing I love enough to shave my beard for is my wife. Yeah. I, we've, I've and watched... if you were going to compare the two... Well, let's not do that on air. Reanimator. Um, <laughs> the, the, it's just really good. It, it's, it's very well directed. The way they've done everything. I even like the second one. Not as much, but I... The second I, one's a lot of fun, too. Yeah, though. it's a lot of fun. It's, it's more... I, I want to say it's more campy than the first yeah. one. But just honestly, like, there are some parts in that movie that are truly horrifying if you really think about them. Towards the end, where I can't remember the character's name, but the do- the the doctor who's obsessed with Herbert West, not Herbert West, uh, his oh, roommate's yeah. girlfriend. She is totally nude, full on bush. He is a severed head being picked up by his body and going down on her. That is fucking horrifying. That is so utterly fucking terrifying. And everything with the dead cat. The movie is just... I'm, I'm just gushing over it. I don't even know what to say anymore. I love that movie. I've been wanting to rewatch it. We're probably going to watch it for our Halloween party this year because we didn't get to watch it last year. But honestly, I, I technically have a horror movie tattoo already, which I'll get into in our honorable mentions. But... Ah, uh, okay. I, I really want to get a tattoo from this movie. Like, I really do. I want to get something that represents this movie because when I first watched it when I was younger, it had such an impact on me, and I wasn't that into reading yet outside of comic books. And I watched this movie, and I kind of did a little research into it and found out it was from a story by H.P. Lovecraft. And then I started reading Lovecraft, and that really kicked up my love for novels and fiction and reading something that didn't have pictures behind it. Mm. So the movie had such an impact on me that it helped me really get into books, which is a strange thing to say. Yeah, but especially about the reanimator. Yeah, I know. Go. I know. But I I love that movie, and I can rewatch that movie a thousand times, and it doesn't get old for me. Yeah, there, there's, to me, the way that um, Stuart Gordon does stuff, there's always this sort of, again, to make the rhymey comparison, uh, there, there is, like, it's not necessarily slapstick, but there's definitely a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek. And not even that, like, just a, a willingness to have fun with, with the horror that many other directors can't do well or don't do or whatever, and it, it works for the way he does things. And... He's just got this sort of very unique way of directing and shooting and preparing everything so that there are times where you can laugh even when what you're seeing is so weird and horrifying. And it's, you know, he does a lot of body horror stuff, but instead of like Cronenberg's inhumanly like weird, not visuals, but the way he directs his actors to the point where you like can't connect with them they feel like these wooden puppets that are just there to display the weirdness and all the rest which works for the tone and atmosphere hurt like um Stuart Gordon's movies are like very much alive and very much fun like there's a lot of sweat there's a lot of goo there's a little bit of trauma in everything you know yeah, definitely. a little bit of feel of trauma in there 
and it's, especially in From Beyond. Yeah, it's it's schlocky as hell, but it's like, oh, this is a good fucking time. Like you can have a couple beers over it and have some wings, or you can just not have the beers. And either way, you're like gonna have a smile on your face. Yeah, and you gotta respect a man because the man Stuart Gordon, because there is so little on film that is pulled from H.P. Lovecraft as source material. So little. And as something that permeates nerd culture so much, comic books, board games, uh, other other writers writing stuff from Lovecraft's writings with the, the mythos, and even to the point where there is a Digimon episode that has Cthulhu and a Digimon that is named after, I think, Dagon in it. Mm. No joke, there is a Lovecraft episode of Digimon. Yeah. It's something that's permeated nerd culture so much that it's surprising that you don't see it on film. And Stuart Gordon brought that. And I just, I think more people need to watch some of his older films. And hopefully one day we will get more Lovecraftian shit. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'll just briefly mention Dagon or Dagon or however it's said is for Dag- me the preferred film as far as Stuart Gordon goes because it is a little less schlocky and a little bit more serious it's still weird but then there's some like really intense violence in it that's is just it a like, little bit less schlocky when he's talking to the homeless man under the bridge yeah okay but <laughs> I I just oh, well, I lost my train of thought but it's interesting because like you said I mean Lovecraft has rarely been translated and rarely translated effectively. I don't know what it is about his stories. I mean, I kind of do because the cosmic visions that he he brings up are best described by your own imagination. Right. And they would essentially rely on whether they're practical effects or computer digital stuff or whatever it is. They would they would force somebody to create what is like a singular vision for something that could have a multitude of looks depending on who you are in in your imagination and so it's just way harder to create one creature out of like what are often somewhat formless definitions or or, or descriptions and then have everybody agree to it and say oh this is also scary on top of it and like the way he writes is different than the way most movies can be told you know Memento is like the closest uh, and those types of movies where it's like they sort of start at the end or or the whole thing is like perception-based and you're like, what's real and what's not? That's a hard movie to do. And most of his stories are about unreliable narrators explaining their experiences, like partially set in the present, partially set in the past, in a way that conflates like what's really happening with what did happen and, and, and coming to a horrifying conclusion. And 90% of his stories are like, the bad thing wins. And most movies, they don't make them like that because they always want it to be somehow positive in the end. And horror movies are more often get to be negative in the end, but even they succumb to the sort of classic Hollywood tropes of, like, the good guy wins. Not from beyond. Yeah, not from beyond, but, yeah. So that is my number one pick. So on a very, in a very different direction, my, my pick was where I started from. It's... I don't even know how I could dispute it. It's just the best to me. But is Stanley Kubrick's The Shining from 1980. Uh, we could easily spend two and a half hours just talking about this movie and the people that are obsessed with it and our own obsessions with it and all the rest. But we're not going to do that. We're going to talk about it in ten minutes um, instead. But 
Yeah, this is this is the movie that scared the fucking shit out of me when I was a kid. Uh, it was same. Am- it was another one we had on Betamax. My mom said, "If you can watch it, you can watch it," but I don't think you should watch it. And I was like, "I don't know why not." The cover seems scary. Jack Nicholson bursting through the door. No context. Went into it. And, and I'll say this before we get further into it. I've never read the book. I never saw the miniseries. I don't give a shit about any of that. I don't fucking care. We're not care. here to talk about that. Yeah, I care about Kubrick's version of The Shining. And I could never be convinced there's another better way to ingest the story. But, yeah, I got to the part where Danny sees the little girls hacked up. Oh, man. And I was just like, no. And it scared me. For, like I was scared for a decade before I watched it again, and then I watched it. Maybe it was like eight years, but I watched it. Was I was sixteen or so, and I watched it in my buddy's mom's apartment. And as that scene came back on, his mom walked into the kitchen from like there was a back room that she was coming from, and turned on the lights. And I turned around; she was in her nightgown, and it was eerily similar to the little girl's little dress. Just scared the shit out of me. I screamed at the top of the lungs. I woke up everybody at the house. They were like, what the fuck? Why are you watching The Shining? And, like, what is wrong with you? And the the final thing was my mom had this porcelain doll. She only ever had, like, this one that was decorating in that in our old house. And it faced the room where when I had sleepovers, it wasn't my bedroom. It was, like, a different room, the sewing room, because there used to be a sewing machine in there. <laughs> and it faced the door, and we watched it, and I opened the door, and that doll was there. And, again, has a very similar kind of dress on. And, like, I, I was terrified. I made my friends go out and turn it around. Eventually I made my mom just move it completely. Movie like still to this day sends the shivers down my spine. It is the perfect mixture of visual, of of uh, audio in the form of the dialogue, of incredible acting, and a soundtrack which is so important to the film and to the the, the atmosphere. It's like I couldn't say enough about Wendy Carlos's score. It is fucking terrifying. The sound of like the the loud fucking heart pumping and then the electronic droning and then the strings and just like constant dissonance but none of the normal horror kind of cues. Like there's no soundtrack that's ever been done for any other horror film that comes even remotely close to being just like the audio equivalent of sheer mounting fucking terror. And as it gets to the end of the film where it's just like kicking up and you've got these fucking chanting shit going on and then just like the heartbeat and like like the sounds whenever you see the fucking blood pouring out of the elevator doors and it's just and the strings are just getting boom 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 and oh it is fucking amazing I and for the record uh, if you don't come up to us in the streets and be like well, have you seen that documentary, Room 237? We don't fucking care yeah. about that movie. Or the or hidden meanings. The hidden meanings. The Shining, and it was almost my number one, but I knew it was going to be yours, so I didn't put it on my list. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I wanted to get as many movies in this as possible. Yeah. That movie still scares me. Yeah. Honestly, like, it, it's it's not enough to like where it'll keep me up at night, but like, there's still points, even though I've seen the movie a billion and one fucking times, where I'll see it and be like, oh, oh, God. Yeah. The the scene where, oh, man, the super hot naked lady gets out of the bathtub uh, and hugs, yeah. and hugs starts Jack. Laughing. And the, yeah, it starts laughing, and she's all gross afterwards. And I am not a huge fan of the movie rendition of Ready Player One, but I do very much appreciate the shining part that's in it, and I thought it was 
very fun and cool. That movie is awesome, and out of everyone I know who likes horror movies, there's nobody who disagrees with us on that. And I think that might be partially due to the fact that I may or may not have cut people out of my life because they said they didn't like that movie. Yeah. If you don't like it, you're wrong, and you should stop watching movies and, well, do something else with yeah. your life. I'm not even going to talk about the plot or anything about the movie. Go watch it. Go watch it right now. Turn off this fucking podcast. <laughs> Give us a five-star review first on iTunes, and go watch the movie. Yeah, I mean, it is it is just so good. What I realized the other day that was amazing to me is, so I have, when DVDs were first, like, booming and, like, you know, supplanting the VHS, we had, we bought the Kubrick collection, which wasn't all of his movies, but it was Full Metal Jacket, The Shining, Lolita, Barry Lyndon, uh, Doctor Strange, Love, Clockwork Orange, um, and two other ones I'm forgetting. Uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and there's one other one in there. And I have been watching this movie my entire life in full screen. I've never seen a widescreen cut of it. And I realized this when I went to watch it most recently because I was like, this picture is stretched. And then was like, oh, wow. And apparently there's been an issue where for a long time there was only a full screen cut available. But there now is the Blu-ray that's all cleaned up and all the rest. And apparently there are some tweaks to the scenes depending on the version you watch. And... He changed some things from the theatrical release to the video release, which I did not know. So it's a movie I'm very excited to re-explore and watch on Blu-ray and see it a little bit differently. Uh, and it's also funny, too, because I bought it one time. I went to watch it on Triple C, couldn't find it, went out, bought it, and then lost it by the time I got home. I think I like left it in the store or something, but I was on drugs. And, uh, yeah, disappointing. But it is... It is just, like, so fucking good. And the whole idea, like, as an alcoholic who's in recovery myself, the idea of the untreated alcoholic away with his family having a mental fucking breakdown and then trying to chop them up, you know, to me it's like you can look at the supernatural elements of the movie as a metaphor or you can say they're real. It doesn't really matter. It's terrifying either way. And I do think there's something to say about, like, the memories of a place or things like that. Like, I can kind of get behind that as right. far as my imagination will let me go. But this overall idea of, like, a man terrorizing and killing his own family, like, we read about that shit in the news all the time. Like, constantly people are killing their kids and then their wives are in the other order. And when Jack Nicholson, the whole give me the bat scene where Wendy comes in and she sees what he's been typing the whole time, like, and then he comes in and, and she's like, you know, we need to take Danny to a doctor... And he's like, oh, baby, we need to take Danny to a doctor. And, like, just is mocking her and, like, just, you know, like, slowly walking towards her as she backs away and up the stairs and, like, the whole fucking thing. Like, Jack Nicholson is so incredible. Shelly Duvall is so incredible. Like They're all incredible in that movie. Yeah, no, I know. And the kid's amazing. But, like, that scene, that fucking terror, that nightmare of just, like, He's like, well, I think maybe you've got some pretty fucking strong ideas about what we should be done with Danny. And, like, you know, the whole just, like, Wendy, you didn't let me finish. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your fucking brains in. I'm just going to bash them the fuck in. Like, and it's just, like, oh, my God. It touches, like, every fucking level. Like, if you've ever been in a bad relationship, like, the movie speaks to you. If you've ever really wanted a drink and like no you shouldn't have one like the whole when he shows up at the bar the first time and you got fucking Lloyd and he's just you know like oh it's it's so good like hair of the dog that bit me Floyd like is it Floyd is it Lloyd I think it's Lloyd but 
yeah, I mean, it's amazing. It's another one that, again, like, all my movies pretty much are classics other than Kichiku, so they've all permeated our pop culture. But it doesn't matter, because if you watch The Shining and, like, watch it like you're supposed to watch a movie with rapt attention, you're just, you're left, like, okay, yeah. God, that's such a good fucking movie. But anyway, um, that's that's it. I can't, do you want to do honorable mentions real quick? We can do them real quick. So, Nightmare on Elm Street is definitely one of mine. That series pretty much elongated the career of Wes Craven. I love it. It's fun. I wouldn't necessarily call it scary. The reason it didn't make it on my list is because it's it's very campy. Yeah. It's very campy. Right off the bat, even from the first one. Yeah. Yeah, I... I I've grown to enjoy Nightmare on Elm Street. I did not like it originally. The first time I saw it, I was in college or law school, and I thought, this is silly. Like, this is fun if I think of it as a parable for meth addiction, but otherwise, it just wasn't for me. But I've grown to like it. As far as my own honorable mentions, I was really tempted to put Torso on the list just because I love it so, so very much. And it's a nice mixture of... It's a Giallo film, generally, but it's Giallo, it's Home Invasion, it's Sergio Marto, uh, Martino doing his usual, like, showing these hippie parties where people listen to quote-unquote hippie music and <laughs> pseudo-do drugs, and then, like, it's very weird, and, you know, it's it's a really fun film, and it's got some really good, like, the last third of it is super effective and terrifying, and again, is like, if you place yourself in that situation, like, how scary that would be, it's fucking great. Um, so that was on there, and then... There was another one that is now eluding me. Perfect Blue came to mind, too. Yeah, Perfect Blue came to mind for me, too. Which is really more of a psychological thriller. Like, it is a horror film. I say it's horror, man. I don't know, because there's no... I, I definitely think it's more horror, just because of the visuals in it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess... I mean, it's it's a psychological thriller. It's a stalker film. It's, a, it's, it's not exactly a slasher, but yeah... I mean, that movie is still scary and terrifying and all the rest, but I couldn't just... It just For me, it didn't sit right with the list that I had in my mind. So, and like I said, The Witch isn't even an honorable mention. Like, I basically just didn't put it on my list because I knew you were going to cover it. And as far as modern horror goes, like, it's hard to beat. It's... it's it. Well, there's nothing that beats it for me. Yeah. My other honorable mention was going to be Hereditary. Mm. Um... I've only seen it once, though, and, like, I haven't had a chance... I'm gonna buy a physical copy when I get a chance, but I haven't had a chance to really, like, fully sit down and rewatch it with you or somebody else and, like, truly discuss it, because I know you've already seen it twice, but I was blown away by that movie. Yeah. I really, really was. Um, I found out about halfway through it that I have a tattoo of a symbol that's in the movie on my wrist, and I whole movie, I'm like, that looks awfully fucking familiar. Felt like an idiot when I realized what it was. Yeah, the the one other movie uh, that I, I was going to do, but I don't even want to get into, because again, like, talk about, this is a movie that, like, spoilers will ruin it to a point, is Kill List. There's this movie, Kill List, by Ben Wheatley. It's a British film. It's amazing. See it, it's good. It's amazing. and it, But it's not strictly horror. It's a bunch of shit. It is, like, fucking awesome, though. So. And my last one was Hellraiser. Yeah, fun. And that's it for this week, guys. Thank you for joining us. This is probably a very long episode. It's going to be like two hours -ish. Thank you for putting up with us, just droning on and on about things that we enjoy. Yeah. Uh, it always boils down to, if you haven't seen it, go see it. Yeah. You know, like, if you haven't seen it, you're a fucking idiot. 
And but it's it's really, you know, we're we're definitely interested to hear if you guys have your own uh, top fives or top ten horror movies. You know, feel free to post it to the Facebook or post it on Instagram, DM us, whatever. Uh, we're definitely interested to hear other people's opinions. We're also looking for. DM us on whatever social media we'll discuss social media when we're about to end the episode but tell us about a movie that you'd like us to review because we're kind of stuck in a rut right now where we're just watching things that we enjoy yeah. or giving anything 10 out of 10 throw, throw some movie ideas at us and yeah, oh yeah. We'll, we'll do it and you know we might enjoy and we might not and if you get upset that we didn't enjoy it that's your fault for giving us the yeah, go ahead to review it yeah so yeah, definitely. That would be great. We'd love uh, recommendations on that. We did just recently rewatch The Crow and Blade, which I feel like we'll have to talk about somehow, some way soon. Uh, that was a lot of fun. But yeah, you know, thank you for listening. Hopefully, the sound quality is going to be like so impressive that you're you're going to be hanging on every word, and two hours are going to fly by. Or maybe you get stuck in a traffic jam and you just have nobody else to keep you company. You're going to have to call a doctor because you've had an erection for over four hours just from how clean our voices sound. Yeah. Uh, we also got a newer review on iTunes, and uh, whoever wrote that, thank you. That yeah. was like, one of the most incredible things ever. Um, that was pretty great. Please keep the reviews coming. Um, and if you have feedback, like I said, contact us on our Facebook at Motel Hell Podcast. Contact us on our Instagram, which is also Motel Hell Podcast. Yeah. We have a email that you can email us, which I don't check because nobody ever emails us, so I'll start checking it, but it's motelhellpodcast at gmail.com. Give us feedback, tell us what you think, and get ready next week for another episode of Dick Fenny and I talking more about things that we enjoy on the Bearded Dick's Musical Fun Time. Yeah, and also, if everything works out the way it's supposed to, our next Motel Hell episode is going to be a live interview with a friend out in California who does crime scene cleanup. And we're going to get to hear all the gory details about what it's like to work in the Oakland, California area cleaning up bodies. So hopefully this is a Motel Hell giving you another empty promise. Yeah, hopefully not. One day we'll talk about the Marlton Gripper, but today, <laughs> no. So have a good night and later, nerds. Later, nerds. <laughs>